Welcome to this first edition of Nightmare Fuel Friday, creeps and peepers. A little surprise showing up in the Scared to Death podcast feed just in time for the weekend. I'm Dan Cummins, and today I will be sharing one original short story of the horror variety. Not true horror today. This is another type of terror. The kind that used to keep me up at night as a kid, begging to sleep in my father or mother's room when I'd read too much Stephen King or watched a movie I thought I was ready for, but definitely was not. Two Fridays a month, ideally, unless I need a week or month off. I'll be dropping these into the Scared to Death podcast feed on Fridays to freshen things up a bit, to keep my mind stimulated, working on a different kind of creative muscle that hopefully entertains you. It'll just be me, no banter. Lindsay is going nowhere for the regular Scared to Death episodes, love my co-host and wife to death. It just didn't make sense in this format for two people to be on the mic. For this, pure terror will be shared directly with you. That makes the most sense to me. Also, no video. I don't want to feel distracted by cameras. Just complete focus on the story I'm telling. I truly hope you love these stories. If you do, sometime in the coming year, I would love to release an entirely new podcast. An ongoing serialized dystopian horror series where I can really build out a new massive world full of a lot of nice people and so many terrible monstrous things waiting and wanting to harm those people. Until then, I hope to share many of these little horror stories with you. Stories whose seeds of terror often pop up into my mind when I'm laying in bed at night, when I'm wanting to go to sleep, and dream of anything but what I'll be sharing with you. So here we are. No announcements, no segments, no conversation, just nightmares. Time now for the tale of mirrors and dreams. Whoa, I can't believe it. We did it. Babe, this is our house. Can you believe it? Both John and Angie literally squealed with delight and held each other close in the entryway of the old two-story plus a basement Victorian that was brand new to them. They'd both grown up in Rhode Island, in Providence specifically, and both loved their hometown. The two had also gone to college in the area. Angie studied at Brown and John enrolled in Boston University, only a little over an hour away. And then the pair had doubted they'd ever be able to land the jobs they desired in the Providence area. Jobs that would allow them to be able to stay close to family and old friends. But then, magically, it had all just worked out. Angie was hired at the only marketing company she really wanted to work for in town as an SEO specialist, and John was offered a position as a hospitalist at Miriam. It felt like a miracle. And now the young couple, married less than a year, owned their first home together. A three-bedroom, two-bath on Ivy Street in Providence within a mile and a half of their jobs and just around the corner from their favorite restaurant, Little Sister, where they went on one of their very first dates. They couldn't believe their luck. Everything had come together so perfectly, so easily. It all felt like kismet. Tears in their eyes, they embraced and soaked up the big life moment in a home that, sure, needed some work, but had such wonderful bones. Built in 1895, Outside of a nearly completely rebuilt roof, updated windows, and slight addition in the back, almost everything was original. After a few years of slow and steady renovation, it could really shine and be something special. Something you just couldn't replicate in a more modern residence. After savoring such a significant moment, the moment led to an even better one. And the two christened their new home in the kitchen with the hottest sex they'd had in months. Completely, entirely wrapped up in each other's bodies, neither Angie nor John felt the thing, awakening in the basement. Too entranced with the ecstasy of the moment to become aware of something sinister, discovering them, enjoying their presence, 
their moment, in its own covetous way. If the thing had been a bit stronger, maybe John would have sensed its horrible siren's call, beckoning him to look inside the thing's world, so that the thing could look back into his, and study him, mimic him, take everything from him. The next few days were a blur of moving boxes, beer, sweat, sore backs, friends, family, pizza, and laughter. As John and Angie moved all of their belongings into the old house on Ivy Street from the townhouse they'd been renting a few miles south in Warwick. While they had their friend Isaac helping, their only friend with the truck, how unlucky for him, they decided they should move out some old junk the previous owner had left behind and haul it to the dump as well. No one had lived in the house for about a year. The previous owner was an elderly widow named Doreen, who had died in her sleep, or so they'd heard. And her son Ray had then slowly cleaned her home out of most of her stuff. He made a few repairs as well, thought about renting the place, then changed his mind, and ultimately decided to sell it. Ray had left a few of Doreen's belongings in the basement. Various items he didn't want to keep for himself, try to sell, or throw away. At least that's what he told John and Angie's realtor. It felt more like he didn't want to pay anyone to carry a bunch of heavy junk up and out of a basement and throw it away or do that himself. The basement staircase was steep and narrow. And thanks to its minuscule landing at the top and the doorway being perpendicular to the stairs, getting anything large out of the basement was a huge undertaking due to the tight left turn you had to make at the top of the stairs. Luckily, Isaac not only had a truck, but he was also young, spry, strong, and generous with his time. He and a few other of their closest friends, along with John, carried out an old couch, a few chairs, a table, a gun cabinet, and an old massive heavy big screen tube TV. Getting that TV out of the basement almost ended in a disaster that could have easily sent a few of them to the hospital. They also brought up and out some other assorted articles and heavy boxes of mostly old books, all carried into the back of Isaac's truck for trips to the dump. Angie also wanted them to toss out a vintage, art deco, frameless, trifold vanity mirror, the kind you'd set on top of a buffet or a dresser. She hated it immediately. This thing was ugly. The mirror was scuffed and scratched in a few places, and even if it wasn't, it just did not fit her vision for their new home at all. And like old mirrors sometimes do when it doesn't feel like they accurately are giving you a proper reflection, thanks to maybe being a bit warped, or due to the material just not being as reflective and or clean as a more modern mirror, it creeped her out. Angie never even asked to have it tossed, though. She was shocked by John's reaction to it, the complete opposite of her own. He really wanted to keep it. He immediately loved it. Angie was so surprised. They both sometimes liked a nice piece of vintage furniture, but this? There was nothing especially stylish about it. And again, it wasn't even in very good condition. When John said it was probably worth quite a bit of money, Angie looked it up on her phone and quickly figured out that it was not valuable. Not in any way, shape, or form. They'd be lucky to get 50 bucks for it. All the more reason to keep it, John said. Someone else wouldn't care about it like he did. Earlier, he had said it would be cool to keep a few items associated with the home, stuff that may have sat in the house for decades, for half a century, or longer. Angie had hoped he'd make choices that lined up more closely with uh, her own when she agreed with that statement, but here they were. John speculated that the mirror could have been one of the first pieces of furniture bought by the original owners and brought into the home over 120 years ago. John could be pretty sentimental in surprising ways sometimes. He also didn't fight for much when it came to home decor. And so, even though Angie would have loved to be rid of it, she pretended to think the old mirror was a lot cooler than it actually was to make John happy. 
She even forced a smile when he said he was going to put it on his dresser in their bedroom. That way, he could use it to get ready in the morning if they were both in the bathroom and needed a mirror at the same time. How perfect. Andy did not think it was in the ballpark of perfect, but she was a bit relieved by where he wanted to display it. The bedroom was a much better choice than the living room, at least. There, no one else would have to look at it when they had company over. And in time, Angie reasoned, she could convince John that it was amazing, but sadly, really didn't work for their room. Or she could accidentally break it. Whoops. But for now, why not give him this little victory? Angie reflected for a moment on how cute it was, actually, that he was so excited about it. But then Isaac asked her a question and she drifted back into moving mode. And she never gave it much more thought. But the thing that awoke when she and John spent their first few minutes in the house as its new owner, it was already thinking about her. It would think about her a lot. The thing would dream about how soon, so soon, if everything went according to its nightmarish plan, they'd be spending so much time together. They would be together. The very first night that John and Angie spent sleeping in their new bedroom, along with John's beloved new mirror, John would suffer through a terrible nightmare he wouldn't remember once he woke. In his gruesome dream, John was trapped somewhere, somewhere dark and wet and hot, somewhere completely unknown to him. It felt as if he were deep inside some cave, or perhaps thousands of feet down beneath the earth's surface inside some sort of mine tunnel. He was lost, totally and completely lost. He desperately wanted to get back, to get home, but he had no clue in which direction his home might lie. He also couldn't see literally anything. He moved his hands as if he were blind along a wall that felt like maybe it had been built out of stone or perhaps carved into stone. Slowly, cautiously, he stumbled forward, occasionally stepping in small pools of warm water. After what might have been a minute or an hour, time was hard to process and jumped around as it often does in dreams. He heard something. It sounded like it came from further down the tunnel, far out in front of him. Someone else was down in the dark with him, walking, he surmised, based on what he was hearing, moving much more confidently than he was. Maybe they had a light. Maybe they knew where they were and how to get out. After a bit of hesitation, he had no idea if they were friend or foe. He called out, Hello! Can you hear me? After several beats of silence, whoever this was stopped moving at the sound of his voice. They called back out to him, repeating what he had just said, repeating it exactly. Sounded like a man's voice, a man who sounded a lot like John, almost exactly like him. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Why did they repeat what he'd said as he had said it? Were they mocking him? It sounded as if they were trying to mimic him. After a few quiet, tense moments, John called back out. Where are you? Where are you? What the hell? John's spirit sank. Whoever this was, this living echo, it was clear that they were not a friend. As John began to grow worried about who he might be alone and lost in the dark with, he heard them move again, much faster than before. They were running, running towards John. John thought about turning and running himself, but where would he go? He couldn't run as fast as whoever this was. More importantly, he didn't know what was behind him in the tunnel. Hell, he couldn't even see the ground beneath him or the walls beside him. He couldn't see anything. Total darkness. He'd probably trip or slam his head into something if he took off sprinting. So he just crouched down, braced, and waited. When this other guy sounded like he'd made it to within 15 or 20 feet of John, he stopped. John heard him sniff the air, like an animal tracking him, an animal tracking its prey. 
The man soon started plodding forward methodically, slow and steady steps, sometimes on what sounded almost like gravel, other times through what sounded like water. Crunch, crunch, plop, plop. After no more than ten seconds of this, without ever hearing a lighter be struck or a match be lit, a torch the man was holding was glowing brightly, its towering flame illuminating the darkness around them both. They were in some sort of tunnel, not a cave. This tunnel had been built. Both stones and bones made up the walls, floor, and ceiling. Strange symbols, looked a bit like old Norse runes, were carved into the stone. The other man now stood only a few feet away from John, but he wasn't really a he, more like an it. He was something else, something hard to put into words. He was human-ish, but he looked incomplete, not fully formed. He looked like a plastic doll freshly pressed at some factory before anyone had added any finishing touches to it, like painting on its eyes or mouth. He looked like a living piece of clay molded into the shape of a human, a thing that desperately wanted to look human, was trying to be human, but wasn't quite pulling it off. A thing that was also, when it came to both size and shape, it looked an awful like John himself. A pale, greasy, slimy, wet, almost melted-looking version of John. John stared at this thing that had been born or conjured into the deep darkness surrounding them both long, long ago. And John screamed. In this world, John moaned in his bed, making just enough noise to pull himself out of the darkness of his dreadful dream, escaping whatever terrible fate the creature had in mind for him. But he wouldn't quite wake up enough to remember any of it later. Angie, in her deep, exhausted slumber beside him, barely stirred. John quickly rolled over and almost instantaneously fell back asleep, a deep, dreamless sleep this time. Neither of them realized they were not alone in their new house. The thing, inside John's precious mirror, watched he and Angie both from the other side, from another world. This other wet, terrible, unformed creature that had only known a half-life of complete immersion in the dreadful, soul-crushing darkness of its world, longingly, desperately, hungrily gazed upon both John and Angie as they returned to their deep slumber. The thing deeply, painfully coveted their lives, the real lives that they led. John woke up dead-ass tired the next morning, which wasn't really that surprising. It was to be expected, really. His back and hamstrings groaned in him a bit as he swung his legs out of bed. He wasn't a big gym guy, and his body was not happy about the punishment it had been subjected to with everything he'd lifted and moved over the previous few days. Today was John's first day of getting back to work at the hospital since they'd moved. He worked seven days on and then had seven off. Seven straight twelfths and then a week to recover and relax. Or a week to pack like a madman and move it all a few miles down the road and then quickly unpack it all. It was a Monday morning and Angie was heading back to work as well. She was almost as tired as John was. After a shower, John brushed his teeth and started to get his hair ready, groggy and elbow to elbow with Angie in front of the sink when he remembered his fix to avoid a crowded bathroom counter. My mirror, he exclaimed like a kid who just remembered the new toy he'd gotten for Christmas with a big giddy grin to match. I'll just go finish getting ready in the room and you can have the bathroom all to yourself, he added, kissing Angie on the temple who fought back a laugh over how silly John was behaving. It wasn't that crowded with the two of them sharing the sink. Whatever, John was off and into their bedroom, feeling like a genius. Looking into the old mirror, he loved the two side panels that allowed him to see himself from better angles than just a conventional mirror. John felt strangely comforted. He didn't find this comfort unusual, though. He didn't realize how unnatural the appeal of the mirror truly was. He just thought he really liked it. 
He imagined several previous homeowners also using it. It was cool to think about how some guy or gal could have been getting ready for their day in front of the same mirror in the same house way back at the turn of the 20th century, back before his great-grandparents, all four now long dead, had even been born. Lost in daydreams of a past that might have been, when John is done getting ready and turns to leave the room, he doesn't even notice that his reflection lingers for a moment. Or rather, that the thing's image lingers for a moment in place of where his reflection should have been. The thing that has been watching John, studying him. The thing that covets all that he has. The thing actively making plans to take it all away from him. Angie got home that afternoon, as usual, several hours before John would. After grabbing a quick snack to tide her over until dinner, she decided to knock out a few hours of unpacking, focusing on their bedroom first. And before we find out what happens next to our dear Angie, first our mid-show sponsor break. If you don't want to hear these ads, please become a Robert or Annabelle on our Patreon and get these and all Scared to Death episodes ad-free and more. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for sticking around. And now back to Angie, alone and at home, or almost alone, with only the thing in the mirror to keep her company. She still had some clothes to arrange, curtains to hang, and a few prints to put up on the walls. She also wanted to put on the mattress topper they'd bought but hadn't taken out of the box. As she began to get started, for the first time in her new home, she felt a bit unsettled. Or perhaps uncomfortable was a better word for it. No, unsafe. Yes, unsafe. Is that a word? She felt unsafe more than anything else. But why? She felt it strongly enough to go back downstairs and check the front and back doors to make sure they were locked. They were. She reasoned that it was natural to feel a bit jittery the first time she was alone in the old Victorian. She didn't know the neighbors yet. She didn't know if anyone else might have a copy of their keys. I mean, she and John were told they had the only copies, but who knows? What if a few other copies in the process of showing the home to various prospective buyers have been lost? What if some creep got a hold of one of the copies of her keys? A creep who had watched her and John moved in. A creep who watched her come home alone that night. What if he'd let himself in shortly after she'd come in herself, and now he was watching her from somewhere in the room, waiting to jump out and grab her, and then soon, any moment now, he'd tear off her, stop it, my God, Angie yelled at herself. Stop spiraling, she added. She'd fought spiraling thoughts for as long as she could remember, 
and had been working on cutting them off before she went too deep down the worst rabbit holes lately after talking about them to her therapist. Try and recall a time where you felt grateful. You'd spent minutes, if not hours, getting yourself all worked up over some scenario that never happened. Can you think of a single time those thoughts ever helped you? She remembered Dr. Gladstone asking. They both laughed a bit about how they both knew the answer before Angie said anything. Angie then verbalized the obvious. No. Okay, no, never. That's when Dr. Gladstone talked to Angie about cutting herself off when she started to spiral to play out how unlikely what she was so worried about truly was. There's no one else here, Angie said to herself in a calmer voice. Just you and your imagination. You can't think of a single example of some woman being attacked by a stranger the first time she was alone in her new house because somehow he magically had a key. Not one. So clearly, Angie, it almost never happens. The door was locked when you got home and you locked it again after entering. And the back door was locked as well. And you haven't heard a single strange sound or noticed anything out of place. By the time she was finished speaking to herself, she felt silly forever getting scared in the first place. Angie, 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 when will you learn? Before returning to do some more decorating or nesting, as John teasingly called it, she decided to slip into some of her cozies. As she undressed with her back to John's mirror, she got the goosebumps, more powerful than before. The feeling of being unsafe returned. She felt like she was being watched. Half naked, she spun around and let out a quick scream when she thought she caught the briefest glimpse of something in the mirror, of another person in the room with her. But when she spun around again to look behind her reflection, there was no one there, and nowhere for someone who had been there in the corner of the room furthest away from the door to go hide. Stop! Angie yelled at herself again. Stop, 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 Angie. You are alone, and you are being ridiculous. She grabbed her phone and quickly opened Spotify. She needed music. Nice, feel-good, bright, cheery music. Seconds later, the sound of Joe Cocker's Feeling All Right, one of her late father's favorite songs, and one of hers for years now as well, was filling the room. (sighs) Angie danced a bit in her underwear to shake off the bad vibes, put on her cozies, and all was right in her world again. At least as far as she knew, all was all right. From John's mirror, the thing watched all of this unfold. It had been too brazen for a moment, gotten too close to the veil. She had seen it. But she had not seen it long enough to be sure she had seen it. If she had done that, the thing knew she might very well destroy its doorway. And with no doorway, no mirror, there was no way for it to get out. How long had it taken the thing to find this doorway? Ages. Lifetimes. If this door was destroyed back inside the maddening darkness, it would be left to wander lost once more, stuck in tunnels full of no light, but so many other awful things. And some of those things were even scarier, far scarier than it was. The thing knew it had to be more careful around Angie. Sweet, beautiful Angie. How it longed for her. The thing didn't understand why it held no power over her like it did with John. The thing could only send out its dark siren song. It had no control over who heard or heeded its call. No control over whose mind it could insidiously invade and warp and control. Back, back in the darkness, it hid and waited. The time at long, long last was near. When John got home from the hospital, he was spent. If he was living alone, he would have had a cocktail or two and then headed straight to bed. Angie, however, was in what she liked to call go mode. She'd always, according to her mother, had boundless energy. And most of the time, that was awesome. Right now, she was knocking out an hour or two of more nesting before bed. And to bribe John into helping her, 
she'd grabbed one of the chef's specials at Little Sister, the pastelion de carne. Anything they added their house-made beef picadillo to was always amazing. She even picked up a rhubarb and oat crumble muffin and a glass of their house-made fresh-squeezed pineapple and orange juice for the following morning. How could he say no to helping her now? He couldn't, so he helped. He deep-cleaned the master bathtub, helped properly set up all the toiletries, and finished hanging up the bedroom curtains. And all the while, neither he nor Angie noticed the thing watching them both the whole time from deep within the mirror. By the time John's head hit the pillow that night, he was already half asleep. He soon fell into the same terrible dream as the night before, and like the night before, he would not remember it in the morning. However, this time he did emerge from the nightmare with just enough of a jolt to be awake. He got out of bed to use the bathroom, and as he got up out of bed, his gaze fell upon the mirror and he thought he detected a flicker of movement. He nervously glanced around the dark room, and there was nothing. He didn't expect there would be. His gut told him, on some unconscious level, that whatever had moved, if it had moved, had done so from inside the mirror. He stood still for a moment at the edge of his bed and stared into the mirror silently, looking at the barely visible shadowy shape of his own silhouette. It was dark enough in his room and hard enough for him to see his reflection that he had to wave his arm back and forth above his head a bit to be certain he was, in fact, looking at himself. As he waved his arm, he thought his reflection felt off, a bit too slow or something. He waved again, and it still felt like it was lagging just a bit, just barely. John now imagined Angie waking up, seeing him staring at the mirror, waving his arm back and forth, and then him asking her if his reflection seemed a bit too slow. The thought of that was enough for John to internally laugh off whatever uncomfortable thoughts he was having and get up and use the bathroom. If only he would have had a camera pointed at the mirror and recording, he would have had proof that what he was feeling wasn't funny at all. The camera, if properly equipped to record in low light and placed in a position that picked up both John and the mirror, would have captured his reflection almost perfectly replicating his movements until John's back was turned as he rounded the bottom of the bed and was headed towards the bathroom. Then the footage would have revealed John continuing to walk into the bathroom and his reflection stopping still and watching him. The following morning, John woke up feeling, to his surprise, a lot more tired than he'd been the day before. Drained was the best word he could come up with to describe his current state. Angie asked him if he felt like he was coming down with anything. No, I... I don't think so. It's not like that, he replied through a thick cloud of mental fog. There isn't any bug going around as far as I know. Well, you of all people would know if there was, Angie said back with a smile. Back when he started his residence, it felt like both of them were sick constantly, since he came into contact with literally every bug going around and brought back nearly all of them home to her. I don't feel sick. Not exactly, just real tired, I guess. It's so foggy. It was hard to properly express how he felt. He felt like, like he hadn't eaten in a real long time. Except he wasn't hungry. Not exactly. Not for food. He was hungry for energy? Power? If he was a robot, he would have wanted his batteries replaced or to be plugged in and recharged. Angie had woken up feeling great. A solid night's sleep. John thought about calling in sick, maybe staying home and getting a bunch of rest. But he decided to tough it out at least one more day. Push through and reevaluate. Once again, Angie prepared for her day in the bathroom, and then, once she was done brushing his teeth, John returned to their bedroom and stood in front of the mirror. He felt a bit dazed as he did so, bad brain fog, like the kind when you have terrible allergies and have just ran out of Claritin or Zyrtec or whatever. 
As he looked at his face in the mirror, he recalled the feeling he'd had when he'd woken up in the middle of the night, when he felt like his reflection was a bit slower than it should have been. With Angie in the bathroom and not watching, he went ahead and allowed himself to look like a total crazy person for a few moments. He whipped his hands around wildly in big, half-circular motions above his head. He snapped his head quickly from side to side. Then he did what could only be described as some blend of really bad kung fu moves and even worse dance moves. His reflection sure seemed to do everything that he did, just as it should. Maybe it was a bit slower, but nothing anyone else would ever notice. And was it really a millisecond slower? That didn't make any sense. It had to have been all in his head. But his eyes, something was off about his eyes. Did his eyes really look like they looked in his reflection? It felt so strange to not like the way your own eyes stared back at you. But John didn't like it. It felt like the eyes in the mirror belonged to someone else. Angie snapped him out of these weird thoughts when she called out. Babe, have you seen my eyeliner? I can't remember where I decided to put it. John did actually remember where it ended up when they were finding new homes for everything. It was easier to just go show her rather than tell her, so he walked into the bathroom. When he left the room, the thing retreated back away from the veil, back away from the other side of the mirror's surface, the mirror that was really a door. If it spooked John before it was time, if it tried to study him up close before he was too weak to notice or stop him, all of its efforts would be for nothing. All of the time it had spent wandering through the desolate darkness while trying to find a door would have been wasted. So it hid in a place too far back for John to notice, and it lurked, and it waited. When John returned to the mirror to finish getting ready, nothing about his reflection felt off anymore. He chalked up what he'd felt before to exhaustion, or to him fighting off some little bug. Perhaps there was mold in the house that was bothering him, or a bunch of old pet dander, something. Soon, he was off and out of the house and dragging himself through another long shift, trying not to fall asleep at the hospital. That night, once again, Angie got home before John did. And this time, nothing felt off about her bedroom or the rest of the house. The thing was more cautious now. It knew it wouldn't have to be cautious for much longer. Soon, everything it had ever wanted and more, desires for things it hadn't even known existed, could belong to it. Angie made dinner for the first time in the house that night. It was delicious. Greek lemon chicken soup with orzo. Those funny little noodles that looked a lot like rice. John always loved this soup, especially when he was feeling off. It was one of the first things she had ever made for him. But tonight, he barely finished half a bowl. He didn't talk much either. Said his head was killing him. He kept talking about a bad brain fog he just couldn't seem to shake. Angie made him promise that if he still felt the same way or worse the next morning, he'd go get checked out. Her doctor needed to see another doctor. John agreed and then told her he was going to bed early, real early, 8 o'clock. Angie asked him if he needed her to get him anything or help in any way, and he brushed her off. Just just sleep, a couple Advil, maybe some water. I should be good tomorrow. He poured himself a glass, popped a few Advil into his mouth, gave her a kiss on the cheek, told her goodnight, and headed up to the bedroom while Angie cleaned up the dishes for dinner and then settled into watching some TV on their new couch in the living room. John was feeling worse than he'd let on. He'd made a few mistakes at work, mistakes he normally never made, had never made, mistakes you just can't make when you're a doctor. Luckily, he'd corrected them before anyone else had noticed, but it still scared him. He just could not think straight. He drank some coffee to try and perk up a lot of coffee, enough for his fingers to start to quiver a bit, and he still felt half asleep. 
He drank enough water to feel like he had to piss 10 minutes after he'd just gone to the bathroom, but the fogginess remained, and his dull headache steadily grew more intense as the day wore on. Even if Angie didn't bring it up, he planned on having another doctor check him out the next day. Right now, he just needed sleep. He was so tired. His head was killing him. He needed to lie down and go to bed. But first, he needed to stand in front of the mirror again. Or maybe just sit down and stare. He sat at the foot of his bed directly facing it, and suddenly, he felt a bit better. His headache lessened. The fog in his mind didn't necessarily lift, but it didn't bother him so much. The fog actually felt kind of peaceful, like when he used to get stoned in the days before he was drug tested, nice and relaxed. John closed his eyes and just sat there, not even realizing he'd basically been hypnotized by the thing in the darkness, the thing that now approached the backside of the old mirror, walking right up to the edge of the doorway between its horrible world and this one, and it stopped and studied John intensely. This creature, if John could have opened his eyes to see it, if he could have remembered, was the thing from his dream, the unfinished doll, the clay sculpture that still needed to have all the finer details added to its blank palette human shape before it was put back in the oven to bake and harden. A pale, greasy, slimy, wet, almost melted-looking version of John stood just behind the veil, where it studied him in ways our minds can't even fully comprehend, and it manifested more and more of John's finer details by the minute. John would remain in front of the mirror for over an hour, silent, eyes closed, not asleep but not awake either under the spell of a creature he didn't even know existed. If Angie had come into the room sooner, maybe she could have saved him. Maybe she would have caught the thing in the mirror while its focus was so intently fixated upon John. Maybe while distracted, she would have found John's behavior unnatural enough to first look towards the mirror before waking him. And she would have seen a monster looking back. A doppelganger in the process of becoming the picture of the person it imitates. She would have watched its skin bristle, ripple, and undulate as it rearranged and adjusted its form to match every mole, scar, hair, and pigment perfectly. She would have seen new muscles moving around beneath its skin, growing and lining up to match every curve and vein on John's body. Had she come into the room at the right moment, she would have seen John strip naked, stand and turn around in front of the mirror. She would have watched him flex and relax and morbidly move his body into about every possible way a body could move. While this thing processed every detail, like some type of advanced evil artificial intelligence program, being fed enough information about a subject in order to properly replicate it so well that the average person wouldn't be able to tell the difference between what nature had made and what it had made. But Angie did not come into the room in time for any of this. She came in and found John right where she expected him to be, lying asleep in bed. So she turned off the lights and joined him. As she pulled the covers up to her chin, she didn't notice the thing hiding deep in the reflection, humming with the excitement over the possibility of nearly, finally, being free of its unfinished and monstrous world, the only world it had ever known. John would have no nightmare this night. His mind no longer had the energy for dreams. The thing that had made his recent dreams no longer had a need to play with his mind in that way anymore. It already had what it needed. It now just waited a bit longer for the right moment to make its escape. John could barely get out of bed the following morning. He felt like shit. Angie was worried about him and almost called off work herself to take him to the doctor. Instead, she listened to him call off work and make an appointment for 1.30 with the doctor who was a friend of theirs and a colleague of his. He told her he wanted to sleep a few hours more until his appointment and that there was no point for her to stay home with him. He didn't have a fever, no scary deep cough, no vomiting or diarrhea. She watched as he ate a yogurt and drank some water. His appetite wasn't totally gone and that helped lessen her growing concern. 
She left reluctantly after telling him she'd come home during her lunch break to check on him and take him to his appointment if necessary. Angie went to work and John crawled back into bed. And now it was time. A time that had been coming for someone since long, long before John was born, since long before the house he lived in stood, since long before the nation he was born into or any other nation had existed. Once it was sure that Angie had left, the thing called out to John, and unknowingly, he answered. He couldn't help but answer now the thing had wore him down. Like a marionette not realizing someone was pulling at strings, John climbed out of bed in a deep trance. He steadily approached what was now a perfect reflection of himself, but one that no longer bothered to even attempt to mimic his movements. Instead, as he wearily stumbled towards the doorway that masqueraded as a mirror, the thing stood tall and confident, arms folded across its chest, an eager winning grin plastered across its face. John marched forward, raising his arms and then placing his hands out in front of him, preparing to position his palms against the mirror's surface as the thing now did the same in reverse. John let out a blood-curdling scream as the thing reached through the mirror's surface once John's hands touched it and it grabbed him around the wrists. It leaned back and pulled hard. John's final moments in our world were pure terror. The trance was no longer necessary. This thing was strong enough once it had awakened John in its grasp, weakened due to his having been psychically fed upon for a few days now, that it no longer needed to expend energy on the strange magic that hypnotized John, and instead it could use all of its unnatural strength to pull him through the veil. Passing through the doorway was like being born again for John, like the infant that screams as it arrives in this world after being painfully expelled from the comfort of its mother's womb. So John screamed as he was expelled from the comfort of our world and into a place of only pain, misery, horror, and darkness. In just a few moments, the thing had fully plucked John from the bedroom of his new home, from the heart of his beautiful life, and into the wet, dark heat of the tunnel from his nightmares. And just as the last of John's body passed through the door, the thing was now able to push forward and pass through the door as well and be reborn into John's life, looking exactly like John. Or exactly enough. Something about its soul, or lack thereof, could be seen in its eyes if you knew what to look for. But who would know to look? John tried to throw himself back to the veil, but only crumpled into something akin to a force field or a wall made of bulletproof glass. Scrambling back up, he pounded his fists in vain against the barrier and screamed. He desperately wanted to wake from this nightmare of all nightmares, but it was no dream. And now, at last, the thing spoke. Hi, John. I truly cannot thank you enough for what you've just given me. Life. Real, beautiful life. Let me out of here. What the fuck is this? What are you, please? Sorry, John. Not going to happen, my friend. There's only one way out of here. And it's by trading places with someone out here, for me at least. I'm not sure, honestly, how it would work for your kind. Maybe if I were to touch this mirror, as you call it, and then you touched it in the same spot, we could play another round of -of tug-of-war like before. But that ain't gonna happen, friend. I have waited since long, long before someone made this door to find a door like this. I waited so long I started to wonder if these doors truly did exist, or if they were just more lies shared by the ancient beasts who rule the world you now find yourself inside. Stories passed along to torment the rest of us. No! This isn't real! You're not real! John repeated this over and over. He still wanted to believe he was lost in a nightmare, but as completely inconceivable, unimaginable as his new reality was, he knew it was real. Goodbye, Johnny boy, and good luck. I'm not so sure you're cut out for your new surroundings. 
And with that, the thing that was now Dr. John McIntyre, as far as anyone else knew, walked out of the master bedroom and into the bathroom of the old Victorian on Ivy Street in Providence. While this thing waited for Angie to return home for lunch, John tried to not completely lose his mind. If this thing could hear him, maybe Angie could too. He just needed her to see him. But what then? His mind asked. Does she know of some black magic she's never told you about before? Does she know how to travel back and forth between worlds? He couldn't afford to think thoughts like these. He had to just wait to see her. Together they could figure it out, he lied to himself. And then in the darkness behind him, he heard movement. The sound of something, something big, slithering towards him. He backed up along what felt like the warm wall of a stone tunnel, something deep underground. And he felt along the wall with his hands, searching for a quiet crevice he could slip into and hide. And he found one. He waited. While he felt as scared as much as a man could possibly feel, he waited. He heard some great beast slither past him, felt the heat from its massive body, heard it turn around and then slide back down the tunnel. He thought for sure it would find him, but it snaked right past. What the fuck was that? He wondered. How can any of this be real? He heard other creatures from far, far down the tunnel, beasts that sounded both big and small. At one point, he heard what sounded like one beast being killed and then devoured by another. Minutes or hours later, he had no way of telling time any longer. He watched, peeking around the edge of the crevice he was stuck in, as the thing that looked like him slid back into his bed. And just a few moments later, Angie entered the room, his room. The imposter sat up and smiled, talking about how good he felt. John listened to himself talk about how whatever weird little bug he'd had was gone, how he was back and good as new, and then he watched this thing move in to kiss his wife and put its arms around her, and he couldn't take it anymore. He made his move. Angie! He roared as he charged towards the veil. Angie heard him. She turned and saw him and screamed. John! Oh my God! The mirror! The fucking imposter, a better actor than he'd hoped it could be, screamed too and ran towards him, grabbing the extra blanket at the foot of his bed and threw it over the mirror, cutting off his ability to see them, to see his world. Angie, that's not me! That's not me! He screamed out, which made Angie scream again, louder. Angie was crying, and this thing was comforting her. She thought he was the monster. Oh my God, Angie. I thought it was just my imagination, but I noticed something move in the mirror yesterday. I felt like something was watching me. Me too, Angie exclaimed. Get rid of it, John, now. No, 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 the real John screamed from his trap. Angie, please. He could sense a lot of movement on the other side of the veil. The imposter was carrying him, carrying the mirror downstairs. Then outside, suddenly the blanket was off and he was staring face to face with the ultimate thief. Goodbye, friend. Thanks for your life. Before John could scream anything back of the no, the thing lifted the mirror up high and slammed it down into the trash, shattering it, exploding his door home into a thousand pieces. And now, now it was far, far darker wherever he was than before. A complete and total darkness unlike anything John had ever experienced. As the thing from the mirror suggested to Angie that they grab a quick lunch at Little Sister, John screamed again, but no one heard him. He was alone. He was the most alone any human has ever been. He heard a slithering again. That massive snake or worm-like beast from before was headed back towards him, moving faster than before. John, tears streaming down his cheeks, scurried towards where he thought that crevice he'd hidden in before was, finding it just in time to hide again as the massive slippery beast sped past him. He'd avoided it again, but did it even matter? Maybe it would be better to just be torn apart, eaten, whatever, than to slowly starve and lose his mind in this new world of nightmares 
he could only maybe escape from if he tricked some other poor bastard into taking his place in what must be hell. And that's it for this Nightmare Fuel Friday, friends. I hope you loved or were horrified by or were at least entertained by today's Mirrors and Dreams. Today's tale was written by myself, Dan Cummins, scored by Logan Keith. Logan also created the intro and outro music, just like he did with the short suck intro and outro music over on Time Suck. Well done. If you enjoyed this story, check out the rest of the Bad Magic Productions catalog, Time Suck, every Monday at noon Pacific time, with little short sucks on some Fridays, and these Nightmare Fuel episodes on some Fridays as well. And new episodes of the now long-running paranormal podcast, Scared to Death, of course, right here every Tuesday at midnight. Please go to badmagicproductions.com for all your bad magic needs, including all show-related merch, and stay scared. Bad Magic Productions. 